Hello and welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, but I can't take credit for the music that you're hearing right now. The music is by the band Coast of Ghosts. They're a surf band in Germany and this is the song Run, Don't Walk from their album Typhoon Twist. You can find them at coastofghosts.bandcamp.com. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have you here. And this time, I mean it. I I, I always say, I'm excited this week, but this time, I am super excited. I got so excited that I'm actually kind of jumping the gun. My original intention was to play this recording later on down the line and maybe build a theme month around the themes of houses. You know, maybe do a house uh, drip blood and some other house monster movies. But I was so excited and had so much fun chatting with my friend Stephen Turek about the 1977 Japanese film House that I had to put it out. I have to get it out this week because I'm so stoked. Yes, it's from 1977. Slightly out of the wheelhouse here for Monster Kid Radio, but You know what? Every once in a while, I don't mind branching out a little bit. And this one is just one trippy haunted house movie. And I had a blast chatting about the film with Steve. Now, that's not all we've got this week. We've got some more things to get to. Specifically, the ballot for the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards has been released for this year. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to look at the ballot. And I'd like to spotlight some of the friends of Monster Kid Radio that have made the ballot this year. And of course, I'm honored that Monster Kid Radio is once again nominated in its category. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But we also have some feedback, and I want to go over that right now. I received a message through Facebook from my friend, your friend, the owner-operator of That's Terrific, Terry Mount. She's somebody that I got to meet in person for the first time at Monster Bash last year, and I can't wait to see her again at this year's Monster Bash. Anyway, she sent me the message. Thank you so much for treating the movie with respect. And what she's referring to is the movie that Scott Morris and I talked about a couple weeks back on episode 356 when we talked about Attack of the Giant Leeches. Her message continues. I know it's easy for some to make fun of the movie, but you and Scott caught the spirit of this flick. I also listened to your statements about the lighting quality on the YouTube version. I agree. But it also gives me an aura that reminds me of a couple of stories from the old Warren magazines. Terry, you are so right. And I've mentioned this a few times over the past several weeks. I feel like I've talked about it maybe here on the show, maybe just in person with people. There is something about seeing these movies in a less than stellar quality that adds to the impact and the effect of the film. Now, don't get me wrong. I want every movie that I can possibly get my hands on in the best condition possible. Give me uh, an upgraded transfer. Give me a restoration on anything. I don't care. Give me something from those 50 movie packs from Mill Creek. I want to see them in the best possible way. That said, because so many of these movies are only available for home viewing now in that kind of scratchy, sketchy VHS dupe kind of way, it, it gives it this extra quality that makes the films feel... I don't know, different, dirty, grungier, grindhousier, or as Terry said, like it came from an old Warren magazine. I still want to see a really good edition of Attack of the Giant Leeches. So that would be fantastic. Thank you for sending me a message, Terry. And listeners, please check out That's Terry Riffick on Facebook. It's That's Terry, T-E-R-R-I dash I-F-I-C. I'll make sure there's a link 
in the show notes. The next bit of feedback actually comes from Twitter. Monster Kid Radio is getting more and more active on Twitter again, and I'm having a lot of fun, and I know a lot of you follow me there. And I've been getting some mentions from Rev Frankenzilla. A few things to go over here. First of all, he says, I've been a monster kid since I was four and first saw Creature from the Black Lagoon, but I've never been able to get into Hammer Films horror movies. Where is a good place for me to start? Well, I would say anything with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing with Terrence Fisher as the director. So, of course, that's going to put you right in Horror of Dracula, Curse of Frankenstein territory. I would probably go more... Well, you know what? You can actually start with either one. They're both great. When I was first exposed to Hammer Films, that's how I did it. I had a friend give me a VHS tape or two of every one of the Dracula films in order, every one of the Frankenstein films in order. And I watched those tapes over the course of a couple of days. I just devoured them, and that's what did me in and hooked me on Hammer. So I would probably start with the early Dracula and Frankenstein films, and then, of course, branch out a little bit. You could also check out a podcast that I know of that talks about Hammer Films, a little something called 1951 Down Place, which you can find at 1951downplace.com. I co-host that show with Scott Morris. Uh, previously, Casey Criswell was also one of our co-hosts. So go check that out, too, because we talk about all the different types of Hammer movies, not just horror movies, but science fiction films as well. Uh, as there are thrillers, there are many Hitchcocks. Paranoiac is really, really good if you want to get more of a psycho, Alfred Hitchcocky kind of vibe. That's a solid one as well. Rev Frankenzillo also asked me on Twitter if Monster Kid Radio has an Amazon wish list. Kind of, sort of. I don't really push it and there's not a heck of a lot of stuff on it, but I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes if people are really interested in that sort of thing. You can just look up Monster Kid Radio on Amazon when you do the wish list search and, and it's there. And finally, I saw your Twitter. Happy belated birthday, sir. I hope you had a great one. Now, I also have some news I'd like to share with you guys and gals before we get into the meat of the episode here. Uh, it's actually some bad news, some sad news. Uh, I, I don't mean to break anybody's hearts, but uh, I have to let you know that uh, Rich Chamberlain, as well as Mark Bailey, both people have been on the show in the past, are now officially off the market. So you missed your shot. Congratulations to Rich on his engagement, and congratulations to Mark on his engagement. To two separate people, I mean, obviously. But, uh, yeah. Are you shipping your listeners? No, that's not what I'm saying, Brenda. I'm just saying they both got engaged over the Valentine's Day holiday-ish. And uh, they're, they're in different parts of the country, so it couldn't physically even happen. Um but, you know, you, you go with your fan fiction self. <laughs> Valentine's Day is a good day. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it, we're somewhat partial. Tis the season. Yeah, somewhat, yeah, that's right. Actually, since you're here, oh. uh, Steve Turek, who is in this episode, did wish us a happy anniversary. So, mm. And I, I know a lot of you guys and gals did on YouTube as well. I'm just saying, in the recording, Brenda doesn't listen to shows, so I thought I'd share with her. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Or you could just start listening to the show. It's kind of been worth it. Kind of. Kind of. You're lucky. I'm lucky. Wait a minute. I <laughs> Somebody should ship us because... Wait, I shipped us. Oh, what are you okay. talking about? Okay, okay. <laughs> Our... Wait, you weren't clear on this? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm podcasting. Leave me alone. I've got stuff to do. I'm working here. I'm working here. Okay. Anyway, listeners, that was fun. Um... <laughs> 
again, congratulations to Rich on his engagement and congratulations to Mark on his engagement. Both Rich and Mark have been important parts of the Monster Kid Radio regulars, uh, family, support system. I love them both. They're, they're great Monster Kids and friends, and I, I wish them nothing but the best. And I'd like to get them both back on the show at some point. I know Rich is busy, and I know Mark is busy, uh, but uh, you know we should we should make something happen. So, gentlemen, I'll, I'll be in touch. Okay, why don't we go ahead and get to the conversation that I had with Steve Turek about the 1977 Japanese movie House. We're going to talk about the movie. We're going to catch up a little bit. We're going to talk about some upcoming things coming up with Monster Kid Radio. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's all happening right after this. You will freeze as you watch a warped scientist become transformed into a godless beast when his bloody scalpel probes the forbidden secrets of a woman's flesh. In Atom Age Vampire, you will flame for the stark ritual of a beautiful girl's last searing dance as tragedy forever mars her loveliness, leaving her to face a world of terror. I give you my word that I will restore your face, restore all your beauty. You will cringe as the demented doctor experiments with a girl's trusting innocence. But to possess the living miracle wrought by his twisted genius, he must forever sacrifice his soul to the cunning gods of evil. I'll transplant directly from another human being. A mad creature born of the atomic age, now shackled to a world of rotting bodies and violent death. A sadist, a criminal, a depraved animal, more ferocious than Jekyll, more monstrous than Frankenstein, more bloody than Dracula. Fire a volley through the window pane. You will gasp as lust and madness stalk the darkened screaming night in Atom Age Vampire. Hello everyone, I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are your hosts for NashyCast, the podcast about the films of Paul Nashy. We, for over five years, have brought you the joys of Spanish cinema, filtered through our brains to you. Yes, now what is it that qualifies two southern boys to talk about films that came out of Spain, and I can't think of a single thing. There's nothing that qualifies. Nothing. nothing. Except that we just love, love them, love them, love them. We love them. Nashi Cast yes. covers the films of Paul Nashi and any other Spanish horror film that we can pretend we know something about. Uh, yes. If you love beautiful women wearing incredibly short miniskirts in subarctic temperatures, <laughs> chased by werewolves in leisure suits. If you love werewolves, vampires, unidentifiable beasts, or crazy people driving women around and talking like a maniac. <laughs> yes, flying cats, beheadings with axes. <laughs> Blood that looks Sham- like melted crayons. Shambling zombies, yeah. Some of the films that we've covered in the past are Mark of the Werewolf. Howl of the Devil. Vengeance of the Zombies. Or Arises from the Tomb. Tombs of the Blind Dead. Vampire's Night Orgy. Ooh, Yes. Join us on this journey through the golden age of Spanish horror where Paul Nashi, Leon Klamowski, Jess Franco, Amando Diasorio take us through a filter Espanol. Join us for the Nashi cast. This is Vincent Price, 
I've been involved in many blood-chilling films like The House of Wax and The Fly, but never have I played in a more terrifying shocker than my new picture, The House on Haunted Hill. It's a story guaranteed to make you shudder with fright. See The House on Haunted Hill, if you dare. It's the Scream's thrill classic of all time, The Phantom of the Opera, masterpiece of the macabre, in color, The Phantom of the Opera. I am Dracula, and I bid you welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic, and sometimes not so classic, genre cinema of yesteryear. And I offer you this warning. Sometimes Derek and his guests get excited, and they may spoil a movie or two. You know how excited monster kids can get sometimes. If Monster Kid Radio spoils a movie for you, do not come whining to me. I cannot stand whines. Listeners, when I went to Monster Bash last year, listener of the show, friend of the show, Stephen Turk, kept telling me about this movie that I had to see, and I had never seen it before. It's a Japanese movie. It's from 1977. It's House, or Hausu, I think is how it's pronounced in Japanese. I'm not sure. I don't speak Japanese, so we're probably going to butcher a bunch of names. I finally saw the movie, courtesy of Steve, and (laughs) what did I just watch, man? (laughs) Well, I told you that the first time you see that movie, the first time I saw it, I was just like, "What? what did I just see? And after I got done watching that movie, I ended up reflecting on it for a couple days and images and the music all the piano music from that movie just kept going in my mind and and, and affecting me that way so then i re-watched it a couple days after the first one and i think partly because i wasn't watched reading the subtitles i was just then watching the cinematography and all the stuff that was going on and i was just like oh this is awesome and i was able to get exactly where the director was going and it was just a great ride and it, it, to me it's still a fun fun movie and i've seen it for two years and i think i've watched it six times now and um, so it's really to me it, it, an enjoyable film and yes i agree with you we are going to butcher a lot of names <laughs> <laughs> it, it's what we do listeners who have heard me do kaiju movies here on the show know that uh, i i have not a very good grasp on the japanese language i'm working on it but, uh, yeah, I think we're going to probably butcher a bunch of names here. But before we get to any of that, Steve, how have you been? I've been doing really well. Doing um, great. Just enjoying this new year. Again, happy anniversary to you because I know you just had your anniversary with your lovely wife. Hey, thank you, man. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm looking forward to President's Day tomorrow because I'll be seeing Black Panther with uh, my children. So we're, we're, we're excited and really stoked about that. That'll be fun. I, I hope you enjoy it. I, I know we don't really, I mean, it's, it's not really in the wheelhouse here at MKR, but I really enjoyed Black Panther and I hope you do too. Well, I've yet to have a Marvel movie that I've seen or that, that I did not like, and I doubt this one's going to be the first. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts, man. So drop me a line on Facebook. Let me know what you thought of it when you see it. Well, you'll probably post about it, right? Like you've been posting about your Dark Shadows journeys. Oh, yes. Dark Shadow. The good and bad about Dark Shadows. I've watched 540 episodes since the beginning of the year. And that's the good part. And the storylines have been great. I've been posting them up on Facebook. 
and stuff like that. The sad part is, is the movies that I had queued up to watch had been sitting there looking at me saying, you really don't like us anymore, do you? And it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, that's the curse of being a monster kid in this day and age. I think is that there's so much of it's available to us. Now we, we don't have to like hunt through the TV guide to see when something's going to get played on a Saturday night. You know, we don't have to record something off TCM to watch, you know, whenever you get a chance, it's all out there now, either on disc or streaming and we can just watch it whenever. And, the downside is that there's so much that you just want to watch whatever you know, this whole day job gets in the way for me. I know you're in a different situation, but I hear you, man. I hear you. There's just so much to watch out there and so little time. Yeah, and for those wondering how he can watch 540 episodes in just less than two months, as Derek said, my day job's a little different. I'm actually able to um, stick DVDs in during part of the time when I'm at work. So I'm usually able to watch like maybe five hours or so. Of, a, of movies or TV shows or whatever on DVD format. And uh, so I'm able, that's how I'm able to keep the Dark Shadows thing rolling. Well, and plus, you know, the episodes are only, what, like 20, 25 minutes long? Oh, yeah. You know, you can get a get a good chunk in it in one sitting. And, wow, I, I envy you, man, because if I could get somebody to pay me to do something that I can watch Dark Shadows on the side, yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm able to get, like, 12 episodes in a workday. Wow, that, that would make with the workday pass so much more agreeably. Oh, it does. Oh, I'm, I don't mean I don't mean to make you feel bad, but it does. Oh no, man, no. I'm just happy that somebody's out there able to do it and get paid, you know, while watching it. That's awesome. No, we're going to be doing, and I don't think I've announced this officially on the show, so I'm going to say it now, and and hopefully I'm not jinxing it by saying we're going to do another theme month this year. Uh, December will be Dan December here on Monster Kid Radio. So we will be talking about Dark Shadows a lot more later this year. Well, at the end of the year. So stay tuned for that. And uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We're not just going to talk about Dark Shadows. Of course, uh, I do have Stephen E. Sullivan uh, on hand. We're going to talk about the Dracula movie that he did. And so that'll be a blast to do. And then, yes, we're going to talk about Dan, Dan Curry. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be fun. And, uh, you know, we'll make sure we have you back on to talk about that at some point for Dan Sember. When you're doing the Dan Sember, are you doing um, his other great TV show? What was the other great TV show, Steve? Um, isn't it Kolchek, The Night Stalker? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, oh, I love yes. that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, we're going we're gonna to tap into uh, some Kolchak. Like I said, we're going to be doing this Dracula. We're going to be doing Dark Shadows. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I've got certain people that I, I already know that I want to have be involved. And, and you're one of them, sir. Oh, thank you. That'll be sweet. Well, you know, when we started re- uh, talking here uh, before I actually hit record on the podcast machine, Steve mentioned something to me that I didn't quite realize i didn't realize that we didn't do this when we had you on to do the the mimiverse i guess retrospective we never played the classic five on the show now we've done it in person at monster bash but we've never done it here on the podcast so are you up for a round of the classic five i'm up for a round and i figured the reason we do it with the mimiverse that was that was a lot of movies <laughs> that was that was an epic episode that was a much longer episode than i didn't I thought, yeah but it was a lot of fun and we covered a lot of material so all right so the classic five for people who don't know it's a card game that we play here on the show to let listeners know a little bit more about our guests i've got a deck of cards here of over 125 different questions uh, each question on each one of these cards is a yes or no this or that style question there are no wrong answers it's just a way to 
talk monster movies and have some some cool conversation prompts. Are you ready to play the classic five, Steve? I'm ready. I'm, I'm nervously anticipating. <laughs> Let me give it one more shuffle here. Don't know if listeners can hear that, but uh, here we go. All right. And I'm always adding new questions and new cards to the deck. Here's card number one, question number one. Which movie do you prefer, Son of Kong or Mighty Joe Young? That's a no-brainer. Mighty Joe Young. Really? Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's all. That movie is just awesome. Terry Moore, uh, the special effects, the, the, the stop motion. Actually, it's one of the few times where it's a monster movie where the monster pretty much stays a good guy all the way through and doesn't die. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, listeners, before we started recording, something else Steve and I talked about were some of the uh, downer endings to some of these monster movies that affect us in a really kind of heart-wrenching way. And Son of Kong, spoiler, he doesn't make it to the end. Uh, and and it, it's a very heroic sacrifice kind of thing that happens with him. But you're right, Mighty Joe Young doesn't go down that route so it's, it's it's a little bit more uplifting and upbeat so i could see that that makes sense i mean like i said with terry moore was it ben johnson oh, the, the mm-hmm. chemistry between the two of them was really well and it- and the stop motion is superior i mean i love king kong i love son of kong but the stop motion of mighty joe young is superior to the, pre- the other two films exactly all right so that was card number one card number two what is your favorite bela lugosi role oh my favorite bela lugosi role hmm I don't want to go with Dracula because everybody goes with Dracula. So I'm going to try to go a little different and I'm going to go with the black cat. Oh, yes. Yes. But I just remember him and Boris Karloff, the two of them, it's one of the few movies where they're equals, billing equal amount of action or, or dialogue between the two. Bella Lugosi is kind of the anti-hero type. And it's just the way he goes into that role and it plays to all of his strengths and everything. And it's, it's just, oh, it's just wonderful. The cinematography, the, the sets, that movie's great. But his, but he and Boris Karloff just make that movie sing even today. It's a great role. Uh, Dr. Vitas Vertigast is his name in that film. And to have him play the opposite side that he normally plays. Normally he's a villain, but Dr. Vertigast, with the exception of maybe what he's doing at the end, is kind of the hero. And it's it's nice to see Lugosi have a chance to stretch those muscles because he did it well. Oh, he did. And, and I know what you said at the end, but then again, he's doing it to the villain. True. And, True. And that's why I use the word anti-hero, but it's just uh, yeah. it's for what Boris Karloff's character had done to his character prior to that. It, it was a deserved comeuppance. And I think it was... <laughs> One of the few times in movies, probably the first time in the movie where somebody gets flayed. (laughs) (laughs) I've told this story here on the show before. Have I told you about my interaction with Sarah Karloff about that movie? No. Uh, I had a chance to interview Sarah Karloff a couple years back, and and I'll find the episode and link it in the show notes. Uh, She's a sweetheart. She's amazing. And we were talking about Boris Karloff movies, of course. And I mentioned that I loved him in The Black Cat. And she looked at me and gave me this face and said, oh, so you like seeing my father get flayed alive, huh? Like, well, n- no, that's not what I'm saying, but. <laughs> <laughs> he was an actor. It wasn't him, really. It was the other role. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Card number three. What's your favorite Vincent Price, Roger Corman film? Well, that is a tough one. Um I'm going to go The Mask of Red Death. Okay. Is that the exact title? 
I believe so. All right. That one I've always enjoyed. Something about the colors, the um, the storyline. Vincent Price is just to me, he's almost always wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 pretty rare, but I just I just really enjoy that movie that he and Roger Corman did, and when they were doing all those different ones. But that that to me is just is my personal favorite out of that grouping. That's good. What about you? I, I don't think I've seen it. I, I haven't. Oh, me, um, I really like the Haunted Palace. Mm-hmm. Really like the Haunted Palace. I mean, it's got the Lovecraft connection, of course, but I think Vincent Price gets to play two different roles in that. So. I mean, kind of, sort of. <laughs> so I really enjoy that one. So, All right, card number 01. This is one of the brand new cards. I actually just came up with this one this past week. This one was just written this past week. What classic monster, excuse me, what classic monster would make a good sports mascot? What classic monster would make a good sports mascot? Right. Ooh, ooh, that, that one is, ooh, I like that one. Oh, this this is interesting. Oh, uh, I would say Godzilla. <laughs> oh yeah, because you could just see that mascot going around to "We will rock you," and when <laughs> and let's say let's say it was like I don't know like in a baseball dugout, you put up a small scale version of the opposing team's town or city, and he gets to <laughs> stomp it on, on the seventh inning stretch. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then when fourth of july you could have him have a little you know his breath and everything oh that i think i think if you could ever get the rights to it, which it would never happen but that would that would be something to see <laughs> i love it man i that's yeah of course my brain always goes to the gill man when it comes to doing stuff with monsters and i'm trying to figure out how to make the gill man work but no i love godzilla for oh that'd be great and you know baseball is big in japan so yeah why not i love it <laughs> Toho, are you listening? Come on, let's make it happen. Especially if the team's name was the Kings or something like that. Uh, right. I mean, if if Disney can have the Mighty Ducks, Toho can have Godzilla get involved with baseball. I'm I mean, just saying. I mean, really, and would you want to go against the team with Godzilla in their in their corner? <laughs> no. And and now I'm visualizing you know, Godzilla like in a baseball outfit, you know, <laughs> playing the catcher or something like that, just kind of behind the plate. <laughs> You you win the classic five, okay? I, that was just number four, though, right? That was I think it was number four. And course, that was number four. I don't know why you, you and I always seem to pick or their defaults Godzilla and, and the creature. I don't know why that is. <laughs> yeah, it's why we get along so well, man. <laughs> All right, <laughs> card number five. What's your favorite John Agar monster movie? Oh, ooh. Revenge of the Creature. Well, it's the Gilman, and um, that was the second one, right? Yes, it was. And I remember we well. We saw that recently again at Monster Bash, mm-hmm. and it was just—it's—it's it's really it's I like I like how they evolved the storyline and took you know followed the first movie and you know it was almost like oh let's bring him from his area to our area you know bring him from the jungle to the city, and it worked to me it worked well and it, and did a good job it's it's amazing how the people are churning out sequels to movies nowadays and the horror things there's like no rhyme or reason they just want to repeat what they did before. And you can look mm-hmm. back in the 50s, and here they were, okay, doing a sequel, and they actually took it and naturally evolved it along the storyline as it would go, as it should go. You know, when it comes to the Universal run, too, that's interesting that you say that, because I think Revenge of the Creature probably handles the sequel, quote-unquote, problem the best. Because back then, it's not like people could just pop in a VHS or a DVD of the movie before they go see the, the sequel, right? The only time to see these movies 
is in the theater and this film didn't have to stick so close to the formula, the, the storyline that was set up in the first film. It's not like people would have been able to go back and double check, right? You know, you, you look at some of the other universal sequels, especially once you get to like the, those mummy movies with the mm-hmm. timeline being all screwy and, and the geography being all screwy. It's not like people can go and, and watch the original film first and, and compare. So, for Universal and for everybody involved, Jack Arnold and William Oland and all those to be able to continue the story of Creature pretty close. I mean, pretty spot on to what was already set up in the first film without inconsistencies and continuity errors creeping in. So that's a really good point about this film. Something I hadn't thought about. They didn't have a lot of the cast return. I think it was the, what was the boat driver? Yeah, you had Lucas. Mm -hmm. You had Lucas and you had, uh, the creature and that's pretty much it that's pretty much it so i mean but what i made it nice is that you had lucas still driving the boat mm-hmm. you had that continuity from the first film and you can say it's a different scientific team to all together which they did so you didn't need to have anybody else though it would have been nice if um they had a certain actress return <laughs> well every movie it would be nice if she turned up in some way so i'm just <laughs> Um, well, let the fan fiction begin. Okay. Uh, well, that was the classic five. How do you feel? <laughs> I survived. I did it. There you go. There you go. I feel good. I, I love playing the classic five of people. Even if they've played it before, it's always, you know, we got new cards, new questions, new insights, like this whole sequel thing with Revenge of the Creature. Thank you for playing, sir. Oh, you're welcome. So, so you gave me the gift of the classic five, but you also gave me the gift of, of watching House. <laughs> I don't know which one is better. <laughs> it, I mean, it's the gift that keeps giving. <laughs> oh, is that what you are? Okay. So the house, so, house is just wonderful. <laughs> okay. Um, so for listeners who don't know, House, I think we said earlier, is 1977. It was released by Toho, which I didn't realize until I popped the disc in, the Blu-ray in, and the Toho logo came up. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. How have I not stumbled across this with all of my kaiju watching and, and other Toho film watching? How has this not happened? Well, I, we can talk about that maybe. But I had no idea Toho was involved. And, and when I saw that, I got – I'm going to be honest with you, Steve. I, I kind of breathed a sigh of relief because while I had never seen this movie before, I knew just a tiny bit about it. That it was supposed to be weird, that it was kind of like a cult film. And I worried that that meant it was going to be – very low budget and cheap looking. And when I saw the Toho logo came up, I thought, well, okay, may, may, maybe there's some hope here. And, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> it, it did have a distinct cult like look. I mean, it's a cult film for sure, but that was all on purpose. It wasn't because it was a slow budget, somebody who shouldn't have been making movies in the first place kind of movie. It had a very definitive point of view. And that point of view is just a whack or two. <laughs> well, it, it, to um, me, as I think I told you before, I said it's 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 like a a, a teenage girl nightmare. Yeah. And, well, which is what it is. I mean, that's just kind of how it started, right? Yes and no. Yeah. And actually, this the story of how this movie came about is is really like so interesting and so bizarre. Don't let me digress for a minute. It started off with 1975. With with um, a little known director named Steven Spielberg and Joel. <laughs> okay. 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 And, and the Japanese film industry considered him an amateur 
And they're like, well, if this amateur's first film can make all this money, let us get an amateur to write and do his first film, and we'll make a bunch of money. And at the time, the Japanese film industry was doing really poorly. The TV was dominating it. Hollywood was dominating it. So they were they were in a in a, in a poor and a bad spot. They were having trouble getting mil, films funded and done. So mm-hmm. they go to oh here here we go to our first um, Nubihaku Obishi Obayashi maybe Obayashi we'll go Obayashi okay. Um, who, ended up, who ended up being the director. They go to him, and his big claim to fame prior to that was a lot of short films and commercials. His big thing was commercials with like Charles Bronson, Kirk Douglas, and Sophia Loren. And, and so they went to him to say, we need you to write a script for a movie that could be as powerful and as huge as Jaws. And listening to him talk on the disc, they had a thing of interviews between with him, his daughter and the um, co-writer. And there, his whole thing was when he has anything that's difficult, he talks to ch- children. So he went to his daughter who was like 10 or 11 years old at the time and said, what are some things that you'd want to see in a film that, that scare you, whatever. And she came up with all these different things. Like um, when she went to her grandparents' house in the summer, they'd have to pull out these, um, mats or futons to go to sleep on and she was like you know when you're a little girl and you're trying to lift this up it's almost falling on top of you it's almost smothering you when she used to play the piano and when she played the piano every so often her fingers would get stuck in the keys like the piano was biting her and attacking her and, and she remembered that and she thought that was scary she was sitting in front of a mirror brushing her hair would the, the, the reflection from the mirror came out and attacked her and also, when she was at her grandparents' house, they used they didn't have a refrigerator, so they used to put watermelon in a well. And she said when they'd pull the watermelon up because it was chilled then, it always looked to her like a human head. <laughs> and so he took those things and wrote them down and then got with screenwriter Chaho Katasori. Katasora? Mm-hmm. Again, people, <laughs> we're apologizing to anybody if we're that we're butchering. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, please, please, listeners, know our inability to pronounce some of these names is not a sign of disrespect to the film. It's just it's a different culture and a different language. Chiho Katsura, Katsura, it's hard for you. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see we apologize anymore because I think I don't want to look like we're saying it every single time. But no, no, I agree, I agree. But yeah, just blanket statement: we're gonna get some names wrong. Yes, we'll do the best we can. So he put the script together, and they took it to Toho. Now at the time, Toho used to take months to green light a film. It was green light mm-hmm. in hours, three or four hours. They had the, the okay, it's a go. So then he goes, okay, great. When's it going to be done? And they're like, nobody wants to direct it. They took it to every director. They all say, we're not directing this ludicrous script. This is crazy. First time directors, I don't want this to be my first time. It would be my only time. <laughs> so it was sitting there. But he asked Toho, the guy who was talking to Toho, he said, um, but this does mean that Toho greenlit the movie and that the movie is considered a go. And he goes, yes. And I'm okay to say that to people. And they go, yes. So this guy has moxie. He goes and gets business cards with house on it, saying Toho is going to be releasing this film house. And he goes to all these connections that he made during his short films time, where he would 
go to those different festivals over to 10 years ago. And those guys that were in their 20s are now in their 30s, and they are running different things, whether it's department stores, music, and other stuff, TV stations, and are in those areas, that in those departments. And he was talking about it, and they remembered, oh, you're the one who directed emotion, or you directed this or that, and mm-hmm. we're going to help you. So then a department store was doing, because there's supposed to be seven girls, and um, they were doing a fashion show with, of the seven girls. They didn't even get cast yet. This is, this is two years before the film's even made. He goes to <laughs> this radio station. They start doing radio broadcasts, a radio drama of the, the script. Mangas are coming out with the comic book version of the script. He goes to a music person. His name is Asei Kubayashi. And when they talk to us, like, when you do your first film, I want to record it because they did a lot of commercials together. And then when he talked to the music, he talked to the the, the music director. He goes, I don't want to do this this my first film. I don't want it to be a serious film. And he goes, but it's going to be a gothic horror type thing. It's gothic fantasy is actually the words they're using. But I need you to have that gothic music. So he's like, okay, I need the piano. I'll do the piano. But we need some young people. So he said, you mind if I invite this one band? And it was Go Die Go. So they had the soundtrack recorded and out a year before the movies. That This is like the total opposite of what movies are done nowadays. Right. The, the whole process is in reverse. And when you look at and listen to the director of the film, the writer of the film, it makes perfect sense that, of course, this is the way he did it. Because he does have this just kind of off-the-wall kind of approach and, and demeanor that, of course – this is what he did. Of course he did it backwards. And like you said, Moxie. I mean, that that's Moxie. That's your spot, you know? And there was other stuff they did, too. There was tons of other stuff. And so he took all these things, and everybody's waiting for House. They want House. House is coming. House is coming. When's Toho going to do the movie? He goes to Toho. has documentation of all these different things. And he says, they want the movie. And they gave it to him to direct which was very controversial because he was not a Toho director. So they allowed him to come in. The crew did not get upset with him too much because he'd done so many commercials using the Toho crews and the Toho studio mm-hmm. that they, they got along fine. Yeah, they all knew him. Yeah. Yeah, they all knew. But it was amazing that this film came about because of Jaws. And, and the funny thing he said was people like, the reason he wanted to go to his daughter he's, or a child He's like, they, they think of things differently than we do as adults. He says, as, as, as at my age, you know, if I was looking at a sequel for Jaws, I'd be thinking, oh, or another movie type Jaws, Bear Attack or this attack. I'm thinking, how many movies in the 70s, Derek, did we see with animal attacks after Jaws? Right. <laughs> Right. I, I mean, it became its own thing. I mean, you mentioned bears. Of course, there's grizzly. Uh, you know, just there's, there's all these different animal attack type films. But it's one of those things that it happened so quick that it seemed to kind of play itself out pretty quick. But we have a handful of films in that in that period that some are good and and most are not. And most are not. <laughs> but I mean, it's just amazing how he how he was thinking that and what he's what he was thinking came to pass. Right. Now, whether, of course, of course, this team recorded this back in 2010. It's a lot easier to say, oh, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. But yeah, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> right. Right. Because obviously he did talk to his daughter and then he did write the script. But that's how the, that's how this movie came to be. And it was just because of this groundswell. 
And I know you keep saying cult film. In Japan, this movie was a big hit. And the producers were upset that it made money because then they, people would want more movies like that instead of the other type of movies they wanted to do. <laughs> so Toho's producers were upset that this movie was making money because now it's changing the film industry. And if you look at it, 20 years later, after this movie and beyond, what kind of films are coming out of Japan? A lot of them you can look and see links back to house. Yeah, I, I love looking at like the era in which the film was produced, what really kind of led to that. And the, the production, the development of this film is just fascinating to me. But the impact that it had really kind of blew up. Uh, you, you can see it even now. Some of the, the more genre-related films coming out of Japan, you can see some of the craziness that makes you think of House. I mean, while I'm watching House, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, I can see where this movie kind of pulled from there. And, oh, yeah, this other movie did it this way. And, oh, hey, there it is in the house. Oh, wow. You know, you can kind of see the connections. And you still see it today. And that's how you know. I mean, maybe not in our culture or our film. I don't think, if I remember correctly, House did not come to America until, like, 2008, 2009. Right. So you're talking, like, decades later it did it come over here. So it didn't have that chance to affect our, our movie makers back as it did in japan but who knows what house will do because i think it's kind of i think it still holds up today as it does back in 1977 we're talking what 41 years later i will say that while i was watching it my wife came into the room uh during the piano scene the the penultimate piano scene and she's just like what are you watching now <laughs> it's, like, no, you, it's out of context but even in context it's really crazy but but it's out of context really it's okay huh? <laughs> it's like it's like the piano version of hungry hungry hippo <laughs> oh no <laughs> all right so I, i'm curious if how did you stumble across this well it's interesting you brought up kaiju earlier yeah, there, there was mm -hmm. a kaiju cast I was listening to. I think it was the, the Godzilla Pod War Hour. They they actually did a review of House, and they went through the full film. I don't think you can actually. By the way, people, there's no way in the world Eric and I can spoil this film for you. It, it has to uh, be no. seen to be believed. We could talk all we want until you see it. There's no way we could spoil it because they told me the whole film, and I'm like, I gotta watch this film, and I watch it knowing everything that's gonna roughly happen. And I'm still sitting afterwards like, what the heck just hit me? And like I said, after a couple of days, it was just like, wow, this is awesome. I got it from Netflix. And then after that, I bought the, the disc. And I was just like, oh. And it's a Criterion release. So, you know, it, people are taking this seriously now. Even though it's such a surreal film, it's getting, you know, the red carpet treatment with this Criterion release that was gorgeous to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's not just Steve and I here now saying, this is a great movie, you know, Criterion's a stamp of approval. Well, that's that's interesting that they kind of broke down the story beat by beat. And I know we don't do a lot of that here, but to do that and and still not really cover it. I mean, I don't think we, even if we did that here, even if we said, okay, the movie opens with this and then this happens and then this happens and then this happens, I, I don't think we could do it justice. It is definitely a weird film. And I mean, I, I say the word weird uh, in the same context, I would say like Lovecraft wrote weird stories, weird tales, weird fiction. This movie is a weird film. And wow. Well, 
<laughs> Let's look at another film that came in in 1977. It was also, you could look at it as a weird film. Okay. Suspiria. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing how both those films came out in the same year, totally different countries. Yeah, I was going to say international releases. They weren't even here in America. Uh, Suspiria is what? Italian? I was going to say, Suspiria had like, it was like a whole international cast. And, right. Uh, but its genesis was somewhere. Like, what were we doing in, in the 70s compared to House <laughs> and Suspiria? I, I well, don't I know. Watching, <laughs> I was watching a sci-fi film in 1977. You know, it, it, it had some monsters in it. <laughs> yeah, I guess we did have Star Wars. But, I mean, I don't know if people have heard of that one, though, so... You talk about a cult following. <laughs> Real obscure. obscure. I hope they I hope somebody puts it out on <laughs> Blu-ray. No, that would be nice. <laughs> well, it'd be nice if they ever do a Criterion edition. <laughs> like Disney would let them do that. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Disney property now? I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just interesting to see kind of where these other countries are at versus what we're doing. Uh, and I'm gonna say it now. Suspiria will be covered on this show down the line. Uh, Frank Schildener has convinced me to cover Suspiria. He and I are going to talk about that at some point in the future. Have you ever seen, I've seen it? Bits, I've seen Have bits and pieces it? of it. I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's another uh, – that one, a, a friend of like, – a person who I met via through work. I, I teach Red Cross CPR classes, and I was teaching a class. And during one of the breaks, we were talking about movies. And this is a, like, a, like 20 years ago. And he kept saying, oh, you got to – you got to see Suspiria. This is just, this is just great. This and that. And then finally down the road, I, I kept it in my mind and I saw it and I was just like, his big thing was the cinematography mm-hmm. and which was just awesome. And it's just, it's just a great film. You're going to love I'm, it. I'm looking forward to it. I, I like the music quite a bit, but I'll tell you most of my knowledge when it comes to Suspiria and really any Dario Argento films comes from a series called this is horror that ran on, Oh man, I don't know what network it's, it's, it ran on, but like Stephen King would introduce it. It was just uh, maybe from the 80s or 90s, and there was clips of Suspiria in there, and, and that's both basically where my knowledge of the film comes from. So I'm, I'm eager to dive into that one. You mentioned cinematography though, and I and I don't want to get away from that here with House because House has this really distinct look, a very unique oh, look, that is, uh... um, something that. I don't think I've ever seen before. And the guy who did the cinematography, uh, you want to take his name? You want me to go for it again? (laughs) Yoshitaka, let's see. Yoshitaka Sakamoto is the cinematographer. I don't know much about him. What I got from the Criterion Edition, this was his first movie. He had done commercials with the director, Obi Shaya, and Obi Shay. He was like, oh, I'm going to bring you in to do the cinematography. Not only did he want to do the cinematography, he also was really working on the lighting, which was a big issue back then, you know, because um, the lighting guys want to do their thing and the cinematography people are supposed to do their thing. They're supposed to be separate entities. But he was un- unusual for the time in Japan. They didn't really call them cinematographers. They were called the cameraman and they basically stayed behind the camera. It was like really one of the first times a cinematographer and the way we look at it was being utilized in a Japanese mm-hmm. film from what I gathered from the Criterion Edition. And he was again with the commercial background and both of them having a knowledge of trying to do all these different effects and how to hold people's attention and try different things. It was just, I think that's part of the thing, the, the, the wonders of this film. And that's why if you look at it, as you're like, you said, when your wife walked in, you're not missing, you're like, you're, you're getting in, you're not you're getting in, out of 
context, but in context, because it seems like each thing is almost like a three or four minute segment. Which <laughs> kind of makes sense considering the commercial background of these guys, right? They're, they're used to making exactly. short experimental films or commercials for television. So those are short in and out kind of pieces. A lot of this movie does have that, for lack of a better term, piecemeal feel. There, there is a consistent story kind of that goes through the whole thing. I think uh, <laughs> I'll have to watch it again to find out, but there, there is a story that goes yeah, through it, but, but I mean, it's, it's uh, how many films have we seen? Does it really matter about the story? It's yeah. The and this movie, because it's got all these different types of things going on, different sequences, you've got what feel like silent film sequences. You've got this weird thing with the piano. You've got some great spooky scenes with a mirror. Uh, you got that mattress scene. Uh, there's a number of different scenes throughout this film that apart, would kind of work putting them together takes a very deft touch uh, a skilled touch and and the director and the editing make it work in this this really weird hazy kind of way and part of it's because the movie looks so interesting it's clearly shot on a set even the outdoor scenes uh, once they get to the house it's clearly on a set you see the painted clouds on the wall in the background i have no problem with that it just lends itself to the bizarre twisted fairy tale-ness of this film and it works so well i don't think i would have liked it if it was actually outside as much it just works which is good because at the time the big thing was realism realistic look everything should be realistic and he wanted the effects purposely not to blend in mm-hmm. he wanted to stand there because he's like oh the people do all this hard work and if it does if it looks seamless you don't notice it and then you don't know what they did so he wanted you to know when they were doing those shots with the the one character who played the uh, fiance the father's fiance when she's like floating through to the house you know, he wanted it just to stand out that, you know, like, this is totally unrealistic. Mm-hmm. But, but again, it fits to me because it's a haunted house story with a nightmare type quality to it, where if you have a nightmare, nothing really has to make sense. You know, it's like it's surreal. And I think that's it's like a nightmare haunted house. That's really what it is. If we didn't have these other little elements and spotlighted in the way in which they were, you'd lose some of that surrealism. You'd lose some of that weirdness, that fairy tale nightmare vibe. You know, I did a little bit of research about this movie, not a lot because I, I wanted to come to it as fresh as possible, but I did see somebody refer to this movie as what you would get if evil dead two was written by a 10 year old. It really has that kind of just bizarre imagery and, and spotlighting it. I mean, we talk about the piano sequence and you called it the hungry, hungry hippo scene. <laughs> but even before you get to that, you know, you've got the keys lighting up as she's playing and, and that sort of thing. Or the mirror sequence, you know, when the one woman is looking in the mirror and the reflection breaks and then her face starts to break away. It's so obviously, you know, yeah, we're doing an optical effect here or whatever, but it worked for the context of this film. It didn't take me out of it at all. Exactly. And again, we're talking 1977 Mm -hmm. in Japan, so there's no CGI. You're talking practical effects for the most part, and you have some um, video editing effects that are going on. But it's not like you can do nowadays. I mean, I can only imagine if this guy was doing his first film with nowadays technology, what in the world would come out? And it would probably blow our minds. It'd be crazy. (laughs) It'd be crazy. You know, speaking of which, this guy... Was this the only feature film he did? No. He Did he go on to do more? He's done like uh, 40 more. And in 2009, he was honored with the badge 
of the Order of the Rising Sun, an empirical recognition for distinguished Japanese and non-Japanese alike. He was honored the same year Clint Eastwood was. Wow. He did his last movie last year. He's battling lung cancer. Um. So he's probably not going to be around with us for much longer, sadly. But if you watch the Criterion part, he talks about how he wrote a script ahead of time. It wanted to be his first of his masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can't it's it's I can't pronounce its name. It's like Hanatami or Hanatama. Okay. He did it while battling lung cancer, and it came out last year. I've yet to see it. I didn't realize it until I was researching some stuff today. I was like, oh my God. He actually did his masterpiece um, that he always wanted to do in his life, and he did it at the, at the end of his career. Well, good for him. But no, he's very successful. He's known for um, transferring mangas into film. Okay. So he's, but he's been, um, he was never a critic's favorite, but he's always, always made money in Japan. And in, like I said, in 2009, he finally got recognition for it. So he in, in Japan, a lot of the film directors and makers nowadays or in the last 10 years put house as one of their top 10 films as to influence them. Wow. Okay. So he's had a long lasting career over there. Again, that we weren't aware about until until House came over here, what ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's, and so we're we're way behind the curve on him, but he but in Japan he is he is a uh, huge. Wow, well I'm very interested to see some of these other movies if I can find them, uh, just just to kind of see if this surrealness carries over, just to see where things go, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at his uh, filmography now and. There's a lot out there. I, I hope I can track some of it down. So, listeners, if you have any leads on any of these movies, I'd love to see some of them, especially if they're kind of genre-related because he had his head wrapped around that very well with House. Because there are so many different moments in House, what what are one or two of your favorite moments in this haunted house, which even evil cat kind of movie? What, what are a couple of standout points for you? Well, just, just before I hit that, yeah. Um, I think we, we've never really told anybody exactly what this movie is about. Yeah, that's, I mean, well, that's why I was kind of throwing in there. It's haunted house movie. There's a witch. There's a cat. Uh, so, yeah, there's, what, seven students? Yeah, there's, well, there's seven students. And uh, you got to love their names. We have to mention the names. And listeners, I know Derek said the first house or um, house. The director purposely picked an English name, House. So that has has to be an official title in the movie. So it's not like it's not translated. It it was released in Japan as House. Oh, was it? Okay. I guess that makes sense. I did look for – there is a trailer on the Criterion disc, and I did play it. And while a lot of it's in Japanese, when they say the title, it is that voiceover, House. So, yeah, okay. And the guy who does House, which is that deep thing, Mm -hmm. is the same guy who plays the watermelon man in the movie, who's also (laughs) the guy who does the music. Oh, okay. (laughs) Cool. All right. So, so it, but all these names, as, as you listen to them, they're saying gorgeous, kung fu, fantasy, prof, Mac, melody, sweet. Those are the seven girls. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost like it tells you exactly what their qualities are just by knowing her name. Oh, gorgeous. She's always doing her makeup, mm-hmm. always doing her hair, always making sure she looks good. Good. And kung, kung fu, fu. I mean, come on. The, yeah. You have to love her. Tough action. She was always no nonsense. She had her little music thing every time she did something. Yeah. <laughs> um, fantasy is the best friend of gorgeous, and nobody believes her because they always think she's making things up because she's always living in a fantasy world. Prof, you know she's the smart one because of why, Derek? She's wearing glasses. She's wearing glasses, <laughs> so automatically she must be the smart one. Which means I'm the smart um, one here, right? 
I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> you can edit. <laughs> you know way more about monster movies than I do. I know more about House, but you know more about the classics. Nah. Um, Mac, this is the this is the one that to me it's a stretch. Mac is a girl who's supposed to be overweight. She did not look overweight to me. No, no, but they do show her eating a lot. And is this Mac from like Big Mac? Is that what that's supposed to be? No, it, that's what you would think. It's short for stomach. And they even say it in the subtitles. If you watch it, they, they actually explain why it's Mac. Oh, it's short for stomach. <laughs> huh. Well, Mac sounds a lot better than stomach for a girl's name. Yep. Um, Melody, obviously, she's musically talented. She's the one who plays the piano and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. sweet is the one that's always helpful. And she's like, oh, I like cleaning. I don't mind doing that. She's always the sweet girl, the girl next door, the one your mother would right. want you to marry. So, I mean, yeah. you, you got to love the names. I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's as you were saying with that one review, it is almost like a 10-year-old said, oh, we should call this one this, this one that. But when you're trying to get uh, characteristics across, it does help quite a lot when you know, oh, that's their name. <laughs> and then they pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> And they follow well, through with it. And it goes back to that fairy tale kind of thing. Who, who's the charming prince that always saves the, the damsels and the fairy tales here? Prince Charming, because he's charming. I mean, it makes sense. It works for that fairy tale aspect, right? And, and of course, in this one, they call Mr. Togo, who is the teacher. Uh, at least one of them has a crush on, right? <laughs> yeah, fantasy has the crush on Mr. Togo. And uh, yeah. the girls are supposed to go on uh, this, this trip and ends up being canceled. So gorgeous it's like oh come to my aunt's house because she had a fight with her father she let, writes a letter to her aunt and her aunt says oh yes you could bring you and your friends over so that's why they end up going to her aunt's house mm-hmm. and mr togo is supposed to join them and he has something happened to him to keep him from making the train ride which is which was a little bewitched by the cat mm-hmm. um which which you gotta also say is an ongoing character which was a, a blanche right and you gotta love the cat. I know you probably love the cat. Yeah, I'm a cat person, and again, this is something you and I talked about before I hit record. Whenever there's an animal in a movie, I always start to cringe a little bit because I worry that something's gonna happen to that animal. It didn't take me long to kind of get over that and think that Blanche probably doesn't need to be here much longer. Blanche is causing problems. <laughs> there's a reason why Blanche is on the movie poster. <laughs> but, but Blanche does make it through. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you ask me some of my favorite things, I want to get the, the auntie played by Yoko Minamata. Sure. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> she was wonderful. Oh, and one thing a lot of people don't realize, and again, I got this from the interviews they were talking about. In Japan, once you play a mom or an older person, that's it. You are no longer able to play a younger person. And this was her first role playing an older person and um, they asked her do you mind you have to be old you have to be the aunt and she's like let's do it from that point on she would no longer be cast as a young person and and she was only like in her early 40s at the time but the way she just went into that role I, i just watching her you're just drawn to her whatever scene she's in and she just enjoyed it and really just acted up a storm and it was, I just, I just really love that character. The scene where she's dancing in the rafters, dancing yeah. the skeleton. Yes. I mean, when she's eating the watermelon, <laughs> was it really a watermelon? Who right. knows? 
you know, yeah. and that kind of stuff. Oh, it was just wonderful how she was able to do that. No, she was great in the film. Uh, you know, I know that the girls were all pretty much models or had very little experience. So it was nice to have the aunt there to kind of anchor it. Yes. Because I, I think when you have a movie that is so out there like this one is, you do have to have a couple of committed, like hardcore, really know what they're doing, actors and actresses in here to kind of just anchor it a little bit. And she was the anchor. And, and I really liked her. And, and I liked her interaction with the girls. She, she had some good chemistry with some of them, at least. She wasn't like the best person in the world by the time the movie ends. You realize what's going on. Like you said, is that really watermelon? Um, but no, she was really good. She was really and, good. Um, I, and, and I would agree with you. I, that's one of my standouts about this movie is that, that Ant, what a great movie villain, I guess, for lack of a better term. Really, yeah, her, really cool. Her and Blanche were, were, were definitely the best villains mm-hmm. in, in, in the movie. And it's just wonderful how they went through it. As you're talking about one or two things that are really good. The first scene in the movie where Gorgeous is in a bride costume and it's black and white. Mm-hmm. It just sets the tone. You know, right. they're going to change this to modern day. That was just wonderful. And the, 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 really, the, the cinematography in the whole was just, as we said earlier, great. And I'm trying to think, I'm going to try to think of my favorite death scene. I'm, I'm, there's a lot, a lot of them are, are, are really good. I'm kind of partial to Kung Fu because <laughs> even though, even though she's down only the leg, she still was able to attack Blanche's picture, which <laughs> must be Blanche's spirit. And, and causes a whole chain of things where you think, Oh, Mr. Togo is on the way. Kung Fu just took out inferior Blanche and, and the ant who possessed gorgeous. They're all suffering, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Will they live? Cause you know, in the normal movie, the heroic guy, Mr. Togo will come and save the day. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no it doesn't not, happen. Not it's, really. Uh, <laughs> not really. And in this one, it's, 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 it's safe to say that, that, that everybody meets an interesting end. I mean, Mr. Togo's end is totally the, by, by crazy bananas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So for me, uh, when we talk about these, like these end scenes, these death scenes, the piano is just so over the top and it's so, and I think maybe one of the reasons why I'm going to walk away from this movie, loving that scene so much is because that's the one Brenda walked in on <laughs> <laughs> and, and which has nothing to do with the movie. Uh, but that, that said, I also really liked the mirror sequence. Uh, there's something uh-huh. about mirrors, especially when the reflection starts looking at you differently. Uh, if it's not your reflection or it's your face making a different, th- that's one of the things that creeps me out. It really does. I, I put that out there. I, I don't know if I'd say it's a fear per se, but but that is one of my creep out triggers right there. And that scene just just got me. And even when it clearly went kind of cuckooville with the uh, optical uh, effects of her face kind of falling apart, it, it it had me. And that moment, hmm, that was good and creepy. That was good and effective for me. And that's part of me who wonders like, if you had modern day CGI, that part where her face becomes like a broken mirror, yeah, and her body falls apart. Like, it would be if you can imagine that nowadays, mm-hmm. where literally she could look like a mirror, be glass, and then just start to just fall to pieces. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's so creepy. It just it's always something that's kind of stuck struck me that the, when you start messing with that kind of thing. 
I do like when Kung Fu is fighting the poster or the, the picture of the cat and, and the face changes to that cartoony kind of kind of cat face. I do like that as well. Kung Fu is just awesome. I think if I liked one of the girls the best, I think Kung Fu is my favorite. You wanted her to make it. You knew she wasn't going to make it. Yeah. No, wanted- yeah. Yeah. And, and it was just, I mean, it was just, there's other scenes. There's so many scenes that, that just stick in your mind. But mm-hmm. one thing I also want to say, probably to me, that the best, and I'm, I'm surprised you haven't brought up the music, the piano music. Uh, I, was, I was waiting. I was buying my time. Uh, oh, the, the piano music is just mesmerizing. It is. You know, if you would listen to that music score without knowing what it came from, without any context, that piano piece is really good. It's something that I could find myself listening to and, and not having these flashbacks to that creepy mirror scene. Um, <laughs> but now that I know where it came from, I don't know if I can ever listen to it without feeling just a little creeped out. But the music is great. Uh, Asai, what do we say? Asai Kobayashi was yes. the uh, credited composer on that. And uh, he's done some other work, some other television, but for the most part, um, you know, this and a couple others were this, his only film works and uh yeah it works really really well uh, especially the piano especially the piano piece the other song i like i can't remember its name and this was what this one had to be done by go Go, is where mr togo is trying to leave his house and they're it's almost like a scooby-doo where are you what do you have the little yeah. music thing on and the cat's jinxing him and he falls down the stairs. Like all this bad stuff ha- happens to him. And, but they're all, it's, it's almost like now we're in a musical. What? <laughs> yeah, no, that makes that, you're right. It does have that kind of Scooby Doo. And I love the Scooby Doo stuff. So, no, you're right. Huh. As soon as I saw that, I was like, it's like Scooby Doo, where are you? Oh, this is just awesome. I mean, it was just, you know, it, it hitting your child, you're like hitting those childhood beats for me. And it was just like, oh, this. And it, of course, the cat causes them to be delayed. Mm-hmm. And um, that cat can move. I mean, that cat got from place to place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not your ordinary house cat. <laughs> well, as you know as well as I do, any old cat can open a door, but only a witch's cat can shut one. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. What a what a fascinating! I am so glad that you brought this up. When you were talking about it, Monster Bash, I just kept thinking, you know, I don't know if it's going to fit MKR. I mean, I I know you're saying it and I kind of know what it is, but I, I just, I don't know. I think that Monster Kids, if you're looking for something to kind of trip you out a little bit, this is a one to watch. It's fascinating. It's a fascinating look at Japanese uh, fairy tale telling. Some of the sequences are amazing. Plus, okay, th- this is another one of my favorite moments of the movie. When they're on the bus, the girls are on the bus. Oh, I know where you're going. This is great. Yeah. One of the guys in the bus is reading the book, A Pictorial History of Horror Movies by Dennis Gifford. And it shows up a couple of times. He's reading the book. And then later, when he's no longer on the bus, the book is still on the seat. I have that book. Uh, and it was just so cool to see it sitting there. <laughs> it's, it's just wonderful. And one other thing I want to mention, you talked about how the cast, the seven girls... Mm-hmm. And really no acting experience at all. Right. Uh, the director talked about how he'd had trouble giving them commands like the do stuff. And the reason they don't speak that much, he realized they responded better to musical cues. Oh, so okay. Because the soundtrack was already done a year prior, he had the soundtrack playing all the time when they were filming. So when the chords would change, 
the, the actresses knew exactly how to change their mood and were, so they were going more to the music. So it was almost more of like a dance routine. That makes a lot of sense considering their background. Yeah. So that's how he, that's how he, it was just amazing how he got around all these different obstacles and, and worked with them and did these different things. And from what I understand, the crew loved him. Everybody, you know, he was just one of those people persons type team. You know, everybody just loved working for this, this director. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, but, he, but for Japan, he kind of, anything that was taboo, he's like, Oh, we're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah, and and did it well. Yeah, I, I'm very happy to have seen this. I will be going back and watching it again. I've only seen it the one time outside of kind of dancing around the Blu-ray a little bit, looking at different scenes again, and checking out some of the the supplementals material. But I am going to sit down and watch this again, and I can't wait because I'm I'm sure I'm going to see something that I I didn't pick up before. You you can see things on the edge or in the background that just makes this movie all the more weird. Like anytime she's playing the piano, you see that out of focus skeleton in the background clapping along and like, dancing. So, and sometimes. Dancing. It's, like, it's like, what, why it doesn't matter. Oh, my favorite, <laughs> my favorite thing to see in the background mm-hmm. is when Mr. Togo, for whatever reason on his way there gets hungry and they stop by like a noodle stand. Yeah. And he's eating noodles. Did you see behind the guy that, that, that's selling the noodles? What's standing behind him? A bear. Dressed in clothes. Yeah, a noodle a bear. bear. Yeah, yes. And, I, and I'm just like, I look at Ben, because Ben and I watch first. That, that's a bear. Dressed in clothes. At the selling, stand. Yeah, and we're selling like, noodles. And then, and then, and then, like then, the then he show up again. And I'm just like, oh, but we didn't imagine that. It is there. I mean, why? I have no idea. But he's like, ah, we got a bear. Let's put a bear there. Yep. <laughs> oh it's it's a fun film it's if anybody were to bring this to a theater to watch you know for big screen like if i can get the northwest film center or somebody to play this i would be there in a minute just to see it on the big screen to get even more into this surreal world of house house <laughs> house um the movie is easily available mm-hmm. if you're trying to get the soundtrack good luck <laughs> oh no is it one of those i got right. the soundtrack two years ago after i sold a movie mm-hmm. somehow one of my kids misplaced it oh somewhere. no and i had to get it from um ebay and it, which they got it from japan and i don't know where it is so i was like let me look at it again i can't find it or if you find it it is for a price that i am not willing to pay oh no <laughs> And it's not available digitally. So I'm just like, oh, I need them to re-put out the soundtrack. It's just like, oh, it's killing me. <laughs> well, I have some places I look for it. So I look for soundtracks. So I'll keep my eyes out or my ears open, I guess, for it. So hopefully <laughs> we'll get our hands on it again. I'd love to have the music by itself. That'd be great. But I think anybody that enjoys haunted house movies, ghost stories, this is right mm-hmm. up your alley. You yep. know, this, is, this is definitely one to see. I mean, you're not going to be... When you first watch it, you might be uh, like, what in the world did I just see? Wait a couple of days. I told this to Derek before you ever saw it. Throw it in a second time. And then because I think because we're all looking at the subtitles, then the second time you already know what's going to happen. And the subtitles really don't mean anything mm-hmm. to what's going on on the screen. You could pretty much follow what's happening from the actors and actresses. And then you can just enjoy the movie and see 
all that stuff. You brought up the train sequence, the part where the little boy is looking at the, the, the book, and then they go right to the color. Like It's like a, a, one of those children's books, and suddenly the train ride is the children's book, and it, it go animation. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's how so seamless. It's just oh, such a visual delight. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you 100%. Definitely get some Monster Kid Radio seal of approval. So check it out. Check it out. And Steve, thanks again for introducing this to me because, whoo, <laughs> it's a good one. Well, no problem. And, I was, I was, like I told you, I said, when you see this, you're going to be like um, blown away. And I think, I think, you, and it takes a while for your brain to adjust to it. <laughs> Yeah, and I purposely held off on watching it because I wanted to be as fresh as possible. When we sat down to record, I kind of wish I hadn't waited so long so that I could watch it a couple of times to get all this extra stuff. But I can guarantee you I will be watching it again. Oh, excellent. Like I told you, it's definitely a good one to own <laughs> mm-hmm. and, enjoy, and just enjoy. But it is available on Netflix. I'm not, not, yes. on, um, not on streaming, but um, on disc. It is on disc. You can get it that way. You can stream it through Amazon, but you have to pay for it. And because it's Criterion, and doesn't Criterion have a deal with like Filmstruck for different streaming options? So you might be able to find it that way as well. And I think Criterion also has a... Do they have a Roku channel? Or is that through Filmstruck? Either way, if you can stream a Criterion disc, I'm sure... Or movie, I'm sure you can find it there as well. I haven't looked on any other channels on my Roku to see if it turns up on any of those other odd channels that are out there, but it, it is easy to get your hands on at this point, and I, I highly recommend it. House. Oh, man. Steve, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, you're welcome, Derek. I, I know at one point, you know, I, I, we always talk about, like, the dreaded theme months here, and, and Steve actually suggested we do a theme month of like just house movies but i'm gonna tell you steve i am so excited about getting this out i'm just gonna put this episode out i'm not gonna sit on it until i get other house episodes because it's one that i i want to talk about and and have out there so maybe some other time we'll do a house theme month but i i really want to get this episode out so oh no problem listeners thumbs up now do we want to talk about this poll that we've been talking about and listeners are like poll what poll (laughs) So let's talk about the poll. Yeah, let's talk about the poll. Um, I, I brought up to Derek, oh, I don't know, what, five months ago, six months ago? It's, been, it's a while. been a little while, yeah. And I said, you know, you're always are seeing these polls pop up about best horror movies, best science fiction movies, and they'll do like a top 10, top 100, whatever. But I've yet to see one that's had classic monster movies. And and if you did, and if they did monster movies, it's going to be full of all the ones in the last 20 years. And then they'll throw in some token ones from the past to say, Oh, look, we looked at the past. Yeah. I said, Derek, your movies are prior. Normally, I know we did a 1977 today, mm-hmm. but they're, they're normally prior to 1968. And I said, well, let's just do one where we, any movie from 1968 on is not part of the, the poll. so it has to be movies prior to that. And ask listeners what their like top 20 would be. Mm-hmm. And then we would take that data and then we'd come up with a top hundred favorite monster movies, not best. You're not picking with your brain. You're picking with your heart. Mm-hmm. And, and then it'd be interesting to see what the list comes up with. And I even said to Derek, we can even put in there some demographic stuff like male, female and age range. 
you know, under 40, 40 to 60, over 60. And then we can see, you know, there's a lot of people always worry about, it. you know, when you go to Monster Bash, people are like, oh, is this going to die out? Because as people get older. And we can get an idea, like with my son, Ben, my daughter, Michaela, they both like older movies and that kind of stuff. And the classic monster movies, you know, do we have a, how many people do we have in the under 40 grouping? You know, with the, you know, the classic monster movies going to have those legs that we hope would have. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of information we can get from it. But I'm, it's one of the curious things is by getting those movies, those favorite movies, other listeners will be like, they haven't seen them. Might be like, oh. I hadn't seen those couple, but it did make the top hundred here. Maybe I right. should go give that a watch. I loved the idea. I know at one point here on MKR, I did do like a top 100 favorite monster movie monsters or something. Uh, it was years ago at the very beginning of MKR, I believe. This idea really appeals to me because, again, we get this collection. Steve's right. You find these top 20 classic monster movies and they're all movies from the 80s and you're like come on i mean those movies are great but let's look at classic universal let's look at what hammer's doing let's look at roger corman fair let's look at all these that's the classic era for me and i always use 1968 as kind of the cutoff for the quote-unquote official uh range for monster kid radio just because that's when night of the living dead came out and that kind of changed everything film wise plus it you know, it was a nice little break from the zombie stuff I used to do. So it's interesting to me to kind of look at these movies and it's so hard to pick my favorites, but the, the criteria that I typically go with whenever somebody asks me, what's your favorite monster movie? What movie do you prefer this one or that one? It's the movie that if I were to sit down to watch a movie right now, this is the one I'd want to watch. And, and that's the approach that I'm taking. It's easy to say, and the example that I was talking about with Steve before we started recording, Citizen Kane is one of the best movies of all time. Is it your favorite movie? Well, I suppose it could be, but it's also one of those movies that's just so well made. Of course, it's one of the best technically, but is it a fun ride? I don't know if it is. Whereas something like King Kong definitely is. Whereas something like uh, The Fly definitely is. You know, and, and not to say that those movies aren't technically proficient either, but it's about your favorite. It's about what gets you going it's like voting with your heart like steve said and i look at it this way we, we can almost do this poll every other year every year and i bet you i bet you the list will change because as you said and i've said many times your favorite movies change i don't think our, our top ones change but i mean you know the the other part mike because i was like oh i've seen that one recently i like this one or you might have seen some other ones and be like hey you know right now i'm favoring this movie above that movie mm-hmm. and so even your own personal list could alter in a year mine does mine does uh not your number one no well my number one i don't think can ever change i mean that (laughs) my number one does define me in some ways (laughs) uh but that said you look at like your your top two three four and five Uh, the very first episode of monster kid radio was our top three favorite monster movies with me and chris mcmillan from the shadow over portland and yeah, my number one is still my number one from then, but I don't think I can say as of today, three years later or whatever, the rest of my top three or even top five or whatever matches identically to what I put down on my list back then. It's just, you know, we watch more movies, we change, and some favorites kind of go up and down on the list, and that's okay. Maybe one day we can do your best. Which ones you think are the best? Yeah, you're, you're technically... Well made. What are the quote unquote best award winning, most moving, you know? The hardest part, I think, 
what you and I were talking about, and I, I even put this on your, your um, the Monster Kid Radio Facebook page, is then what is your definition of a monster? Mm-hmm. Which which got it, a lot of interesting responses. My thing is, is eventually it gets to be almost undefinable because everybody's going to come in with their own personal perspective. Like, can a regular human be a monster like um, Norman Bates and psycho. He does a lot of monsters things, but is he a monster? Well, that's something that came up too. When I did that top 100 classic monsters is that Norman Bates did come up and a few of the other quote unquote, just human characters came up, but, but where do you draw the line? I mean, the Phantom of the Opera is just a guy. He doesn't have any supernatural powers. He just had some unfortunate skin issues. <laughs> well, well, the hunchback, the Quasimodo is yeah. a hunchback. Right. Well, or so we were saying appearance makes you a monster. Uh, you know. I'm so, not comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm not comfortable either. And, and I, so I think I suggested to you is like, listeners, when this poll comes out, what your definition of a monster is, is what you go with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's up to <laughs> and, you. Yeah, and, and basically, um, it's almost like uh, the, the, as the list come in, the listeners will decide. Does the, you know, does Psycho make it up there as a monster movie or does um, the Hunchback well, of Notre Dame, right. the Phantom of the Opera, or do they not? And we'll, we'll leave it yeah. up to um, the public. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Now, the poll is not going to be done through Facebook because I know not everybody has access or wants to be involved in Facebook. It will be a Google form that I'm going to be working up. Uh, my plan is to have it done by the end of the month. I'll announce online when it happens, when it goes out. I'll do my best to make it happen here soon so we don't lose any momentum here. But I'm super excited about this. And what are we going to do with the results? Well, our plan is, and this is the reason Derek like, wants to get it done quickly, is we want to get the results, and then we want to release the results at Monster Bash. Right. Now, you don't have to be at Monster Bash to get the release of, of what happened, what the results were, uh, because I will make them available afterwards. But the debut of this list, the top 100 monster movies, as decided by the listeners of Monster Kid Radio, that will be debuted at Monster Bash, and that's going to be fun. I think you have a table this year. I right? do. I do. Which is a, a blessing and a curse. I'm look, I'm so honored that I'm going to be there uh, tabling. But I hope I don't miss out on too much stuff because I'm at my table. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can see what you're saying. It's almost like, a, oh, there's someone so Victoria Price is speaking. I'm at my table. Forget the table. I'm going to Victoria Price because right? everybody, everybody's <laughs> going to be at Victoria Price anyway. Who's going to be? At, nothing personal, Derek, but. If I had a choice between you and Victoria Price, I'm going with Victoria Price. If I had a choice between me and Victoria Price, <laughs> I'd go with Victoria Price. I've listened to her speak. I've met her. She's a wonderful woman. And I, I don't know what presentation she's going to give at Monster Bash, if she's giving a presentation or if it's just going to be a Q&A. Whatever it is, I'm looking forward to it because she is an amazing person. And her story and her, her storytelling – top notch so yeah listeners don't feel like you're gonna be offending me if you choose victoria price over me if i could step out of my own body and 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 astrally project dr strange style into the room while victor uh, victoria price is doing her thing and just my 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 shell is at my table i'd do it uh and actually that said anybody who's going to be at monster bash i'm always going to be looking for little table helpers just saying i'll make sure i have more than one chair behind the table so anyway Speaking of Victoria Price, you know, but let's let's go a little crazy here, Derek. Uh oh. Let, let's let's add in besides the top twenty monster movies, your ten favorite Vincent Price, your five favorite Vincent Price movies. Oh, you want to go Vincent Price? Okay, that's that. We'll you know, because Victoria and that's Price will be there. Let's add the five favorite Vincent Price because his, his he obviously goes 
before and beyond the 1968 parameter. And Vincent Price is such an icon. I'm kind of curious with people's five favorite Vincent Price. I mean, okay. where will the fly, where would a tingler go? Where will all the Corman stuff? On yeah. Hill? Yeah. So with the Vincent Price, are we saying the 68 is a cutoff for that too? No, no, we'll let it go. Vincent Price, Vincent Price think, whatever, of all time. Got it. All time. You know, down the road, what we can do? Hmm. Can you imagine in the next year, maybe like top 10, Peter Cushing? Feel like a Cushing, Lee. a Lugosi, a Karloff, all those, yeah. Yeah, we can we can rotate this through. And then and thing is, you can keep debuting these at the, the Monster Bash or using them different episodes. That'd be fun. That'd be a lot of fun. I like it. All right, so we're going to be doing our top 20 uh Night, uh, classic horror or cla- yeah, classic horror movies, I guess. Or, or are we saying horror or monster movies? Because I think that's monster movies, monster movies, top 20 monster movies th- up through 1968. And then as a bonus, your top five favorite Vincent Price films of all time. And with the I monster like movies, when he does the poll, please put the year with the movie. Obviously, since like Do- um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde have plenty of versions yeah that would be helpful that would really be helpful <laughs> and hey you, you you might have two of them you might say i like these two two of those things you know dr jekyll and mr high movies are my favorite that's fine mm-hmm. you know you don't have to pick just one you can go you can go um all the creature the black lagoon movies right as you should yeah no no i mean <laughs> exactly so, uh, did we want to kind of give like a little preview as to how we might end up voting if we were doing the poll today? I think so. I could give people okay. an idea. And, um, oh, and, and, and by the way, in some movies, and we'll get to when I get to my number one, we, we, we'll talk, actually, we'll talk when we get to my number one. Okay. Because <laughs> you know, I know what your number one is. And you know what my number one is. Yeah. Okay. okay. So, this is in no particular order with the exception of the first film for me. And, I'm not saying this is going to be set in stone when the poll's done. Like we said, my taste may change. But right now, my top five would include The Mummy, the original Mummy with Boris Karloff. And oh. it wasn't going to be on there until you mentioned it earlier, The Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the, I, I took favorite cat, films can evolve rather quickly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I took cat people off and put The Black Cat on. <laughs> And of course, I've got to have King Kong, the original King Kong. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to say these things are monstrous enough to count. Planet of the Apes came out in 68. That's going to be one for me as well, probably the outlier. And then, of course, Creature from the Black Lagoon would be on there as well. Now, again, this may change by the time I do the poll, but that, that's kind of what we're looking Apes. at. You know? Planet of the Apes, that's 1968. That won't qualify. Well, I thought we said 68 was the cutoff. I thought we said prior. Ah oh, man, you're gonna make me take me off, take off my pride. Oh, because man, because if, if you count sixty-eight, you got to count Night of the Living Dead. Then, nah, okay, fine. I'll put cat people back up. Whatever, Steve. Wait, whose <laughs> podcast is this? Well, it's your no. show. It's, it's <laughs> up to you. You decide. No, okay, no, that makes sense. Why don't we say pre nineteen sixty-eight? Because you're right. We do start to see the skew, the shift. So, Steve, what would you do? Well, and again, these are five of my top twenty. So I'm just, I just, they're not in particular order, except for my my number one. But um, so. Four of my top 20, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah. I just, I love watching it over and over. Yes, it's a comedy, but the monsters are played straight. And you got Frankenstein, oh, the wolf man, man yeah. Dracula. Oh, the only thing missing in that movie, because he didn't want to do it, is Boris Karloff. <laughs> yeah. 
if he would have been in there, that would have been like, oh, geez, that might have actually moved up to number one. <laughs> yes, it's not like they didn't try, and they did involve him in the ad, you know, the promotion of the film. But you're right, yeah, putting Karloff in there in some way would have been amazing. Plus, he got the Invisible Man cameo, so sort or, of with, with Vincent Price. Yep. Um, Creature the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not. I'm preaching to the choir. I think. I think you run the call to the preacher. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we couldn't be friends any longer if this isn't on your top five, my friend. I'm just saying. Now. <laughs> but that's okay. I can, I can live with that. You know, we, can, we can be frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, these next three are actually probably right now, the way I'm thinking right now, my top three. Okay. All right. These, so number two and number three, it's almost like a tie for me. I keep flipping between the two. Jason and the Argonauts oh, and the yes. seventh voyage of Sinbad. Mm-hmm. I'm I glad mean, you brought about- movies like that up. I, I'm, I'm really glad because they are not horror movies per se, but they have these amazing creatures. And, and I feel like sometimes I don't talk about classic fantasy type films here on MKR. So thank you for bringing those two up. Those are great films. Well, I know Stephen D. Sullivan's happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, you look at it again, going with like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, you have a smorgasbord of monsters. Oh, yeah, indeed. Mean- indeed. I mean, Rip, Seven Voyages of Sinbad, you got the rock, you got the Cyclops, you got the Skeleton War, you got the dragon, just, just off the top of my head. And then with Jason the Argonauts, you got Talos. Oh, one of my favorite stop motion ever. It's gorgeous. Oh, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just amazing. The Ray Harryhausen, of course, both movies of Ray Harryhausen, which is by itself, it's, it's saying enough. Um, you also have Harpies, the Hydra, and then you have, Probably one of the greatest action sequences filmed in a stop for stop motion with actors, the skeletal warriors, multiples fighting mm. Jason and the Argonauts. Yes. It's just amazing how Ray Harryhausen pulled that off. It's still breathtaking today. Beautiful work. Yeah. So, well, what's your number one, man? We said we, said we were going to have him be a mascot on the classic five. <laughs> and, 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 Godzilla so, but, is just, growing up film? as a kid, I mean. But which film? All the different Godzilla movies. The monster movie, you know, time slot. It was, half the time it seemed to be a Godzilla film, because there's what, like 30 of them? You know, of course, when I was growing up at that time, I think it was like 25 or something. But it's, and now the interesting thing, another reason I brought the Godzilla film is Godzilla also was released in America as Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about this ahead of time. You know, should we split? Godzilla and Godzilla King of Monsters, or should we count them as one film? And I think we said we agreed for the sake of this poll, whether it's Godzilla or Godzilla King of Monsters. Yes, there's a lot of differences between the two, mm-hmm. but there's majority of it is is, is similar in, in ways that we're going to count them as one film. Right. For, for this poll. Now, based on popular vote, when it comes to the Monster Kid Radio Rally Awards, which will be coming out here soon, the ballot for this year, they will be considered two separate entities based on the fact that there are different storylines happening. But for this poll, Godzilla and Godzilla King of the Monsters, Gamera and Gamera the Invincible, these movies are going to be the one. I think that's fair because it's just, because some people will be like, oh, which one? It's a, just for the sake of simplicity, we're going to yeah. count it. And we're talking about, you know, favorite films. We're talking about keeping it fun, not getting so, well, you know, Gojira came out in this year and this happened and the King of the Month. No, it's Godzilla, man. Yeah. <laughs> for and, this, and, and yeah, yeah. And so what are you writing as Godzilla, Gojira, 
Godzilla King and the Monsters, we're going to count it as the 1954 film. Um, again, we're just we're just trying to keep things somewhat simple, you know. I mean, right. if, if you're upset with us, you know, we're sorry. You know, it's, right. <laughs> we're trying and to I, keep I, things easy. <laughs> with the exception of a couple of other movies from other countries, like maybe Adam Age of Empire, I don't think we see this being a big issue, except for some Japanese monster movies. I'm going to stop recording here in a, in a little bit. And of course, three or four other films will pop up in my brain. But yeah, I can't think of any right now off the top of my head where it might be a big issue anyway. Well, so yeah, yeah let's just keep it simple. So. Yeah. It's really the Godzilla film. I think like you have Godzilla versus The Thing and Godzilla versus Mothra. It's the right. same film, two yeah. different titles. And I think King Ghidra had a different, you know, the Ghidra film had a different name. And I think even Rodan might have had something over Rand the Unbelievable. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's we're going to go with whatever the original film was in terms of the polling, but if it's your favorite film, if it's King of the Monsters, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> and the whole point of this is to have fun. And again, if you're not sure what to pick, just follow with your heart. What would you want to stick in the, the DVD player or hope that Turner Classic Movies is playing next? Or if it was like uh, they're doing a revival series and they said, this film is showing up. You're like, I got to go. Right, let your right. heart guide you. <laughs> and, and don't feel like it's got to be something that's so you, – you don't get caught up with the whole this is what I have to live by now because I'll tell you right now, I've changed my mind again. I'm taking cat people out and putting King Kong versus Godzilla in. So, you know, it can be in flux. It's fine. Just as soon as you do the poll, that's what we're going to stick with and then you can change your mind later for future stuff. And Derek and I talked about this. Being, it could, this could be something that could be done on an annual or, or every mm-hmm. couple of year basis and just to see how – interest and views change right i think it'll be fun i mean it'll be fun but also be it's it's kind of almost a pseudoscientific sociological approach to just seeing how taste change you're right i'm curious to see like i said besides male female and age what decade has the most favorites i found in building the ballot for the rallies there are so many more monster movies in the 50s to pull from so i do wonder if that might kind of weigh the polling a little bit that said, I'm real curious to see as well how it works out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking the, the 50s and the 30s are probably going to be the, the, the hot decades. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I th- I'm glad you brought the idea to me so that we can do it. Uh, Monster Bash on Monster Kid Radio. All right. So I, I want to thank you, Steve, for all of this. This was a joy to uh, record this podcast. Like I said, I'm so excited about the house conversation. I'm putting it out. This upcoming week, I, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to start editing it tonight. This episode was a lot of fun. So thank you so much. We need to do this more often, man. We really do. Oh, I thought oh, there's tons of movies. You know what we should do one time? What's that? We should both pick. We should find a movie that neither one of us have seen. Okay. And wait till the day before and see it. And then we just go right into it. <laughs> you know, I did that once with Scott and that was a lot of fun and I would love to do it with more people. So yeah, sign me up. We'll make it happen. I'm, I'm all in. Awesome. All right, Steve, thanks again, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. And, of course, I'll see you at the bash. That's right. Huge thanks to Steve for being part of this and for pushing me to watch the movie House. I can honestly say that my life will never be the same after having watched that movie. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to probably watch it again here soon just so I can kind of get some of the more – surreal elements kind of kind of wrap my brain around that a little bit more that was a lot of fun steve thank you so much and i look forward to chatting with you in person at monster bash of all the horror stories ever told one towers above them all 
the original masterpiece of the macabre, the undeniable terror of Bram Stoker's Dracula. shadow of darkness across Europe to Victorian England. A terrifying love story that reaches back into the dead past. A nightmare that stalks through the centuries to embrace the living. Can't you at least tell me something? If the cause of your fiancé's affliction is what I think it is. Then beside it, the most venomous serpent in the world would seem a plaything for children. No. You're dead. Jaws on land belong to Grizzly. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, this is Sarah Karloff, and you're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Monster Bash has come up a couple of times in this episode. For listeners who don't know, Monster Bash is, well, now it's twice a year, but it is the biggest monster kid classic monster movie classic horror convention that happens every year in mars pennsylvania okay actually it's cranberry township but we like to say mars because it's right nearby and it's mars so it's cranberry township pennsylvania happens every summer and it's a blast i can honestly say of all the conventions all the events that i travel to this is one of my absolute favorites i adore what ron adams and company do it's just fantastic and this year's monster bash is happening june 22nd through the 24th at the double tree pittsburgh north and i guess 
the website says Mars. So either way, just look up monsterbashnews.com or follow the link in the show notes. Now, what's special about this upcoming Monster Bash for me is that I've been asked to a table at the event. So we're actually going to have a Monster Kid Radio table, station, something set up at Monster Bash. So working out some of the details. But one of the things that we are going to be able to do is sell some merchandise, have some merch to sell at the table there. And that's where you guys and gals come in. I want to know what you want to buy. What what kind of content, what kind of material, merchandise would you be interested in? Would you be willing to purchase? Would you like to pick up to help support Monster Kid Radio? Let me know. Drop me an email, please, at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Can't say I'm going to be able to make everything happen, but I'd like to kind of know where your guys and gals' heads are at regarding this kind of thing. I've never really sold anything at a convention before. This is new territory for me, so any help you can give me, I really appreciate. It could be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins, and he could actually be a real Vampire! House of Dark Shadows from MGM. See how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just $2, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. It's awards season, and I'm not talking about the Academy Awards. I'm talking about the Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Awards, which you can find at RondoAward.com. This is the event, the awards that I look forward to every year, because not only does it honor the best in classic horror research, creativity, and film preservation, the ballot also serves as a checklist of all the cool stuff that's happened over the past year-ish, including the best DVDs and Blu-rays that have been released, the best magazines, the best, well, everything, really. So it's a checklist to go through and, and help you figure out what you missed and how you might be able to enrich yourself as a monster kid by looking at some of these amazing articles and commentary tracks and magazines and books and podcasts. There is a category for podcasts, and we'll talk about that here in a second. Now, I like to go through the Rondo Hatton ballot every year and see who's on there that's also been on Monster Kid Radio. And I wanted to take a moment to just give a shout out to those Monster Kid Radio guests who have made the ballot this year. For best commentary track, there are two entries on the ballot. 
that I wanted to point out. First of all, you've got Troy Howarth. Now, Troy's been on the show a couple of times, and he's a DVD commentary and a film historian and author, and he did the commentary track for the Arrow release of Don't Torture a Duckling. He's up for best commentary track for that. And then Rod Barnett, who's only been on the show once, and man, I really need to get him back on, and his co-host at the Nashi cast, Troy Gwynn, are also up for best commentary track for their work on the Paul Nashi collection that Scream Factory released last year. In category eight, the best independent film, limited release, video or streaming category, there are two. And longtime listeners of the show probably know who the two filmmakers are. But I'll, I'll say them out loud anyway, in case you don't know. Christopher Mims, Demon with the Atomic Brain, is up for an award, as is Joshua Kennedy's Theseus and the Minotaur. And as an aside, Stephen D. Sullivan did some co-writing on Theseus and the Minotaur. In Category 11, Book of the Year, there is A Werewolf Remembers, The Testament of Lawrence Stuart Talbert by Frank J. Delostrito. Now, this book actually made the holiday gift guide last year. I picked this up from Frank himself at last year's Monster Bash. It's a fantastic book that examines Lawrence Talbot's history and, and his place in the greater Universal Monsterdom and ties in other Universal Monster movies that you might not expect. It's a really well-written, well-researched, and well-produced book. It's one of my favorites that I picked up last year. And you remember that name, Rod Barnett, that guy that I talked about a second ago? He also wrote an article for Scream magazine, and this is Scream spelled with two E's, not the E-A, but the E-E Scream. This is category 13, and his article on Paul Nashi is up for a Rondo Award as well. And Dr. Gangrene, Larry Underwood. You just heard him on the show. He's nominated for Best Columnist for his column, The Doctor is Insane, by Dr. Gangrene, the Scary Monsters magazine column. And, you know, we were talking about Monster Bash a second ago. Ron Adams runs a column in Monster Bash magazine. His column is called Rondo Remembers. The best cover category is a lot of fun. Uh, you, you have to really go to the website to check it out because they've put thumbnails of all these incredible monster movie magazine covers on there that are up for various awards. And two Monster Kid Radio guests are up for a couple of their different pieces of art because that's what they are. They're pieces of art that just happen to make their way to a magazine cover. Daniel Horn has received two nominations on this ballot for his cover for Classic Monsters of the Movies, number nine, and Monster Bash, number 29. And then Mark Maddox also is up for two awards, one for his cover for Mad Scientist 32, and then his cover for, oh, strike that, three awards. Mad Scientist number 32, Scream number 34, and that's Scream with the double E, and Little Shop of Horrors number 38. If I had to just pick between Mark Maddox covers, I'd go with the Little Shop of Horrors cover. I actually talked to him because I'm trying to get him back on the show and schedule some time, and uh, I just asked him as an aside, you know, if we were to vote for one of yours, which one would it be? And it'd be the Little Shop of Horrors. That's the one he's most proud of, so there you go. Okay, uh, back to Dr. Gang Green. His website's up for an award for Best Website or Blog of 2017. It's Dr. Gang Green's Mad Blog. Also on the ballot for Best Website is Jeff Owens' website, ClassicHorrors.club. Jeff Owens, dear friend of the show. For Best Convention of 2017, of course, Monster Bash is on the list, as is what they're calling CthulhuCon. What it really is is the HP Lovecraft Film Festival in Cthulhu Con. So that's also on the list. And I've recorded at both events, and both events are fantastic. So well-deserved nominations there. Moving on to uh, 
favorite horror host of 2017. We've got Dr. Gangrene on the ballot again, as well as Penny Dreadful, who I did meet at the last Monster Bash and recorded a little bit with her. She was fantastic and does an incredible job as well. So very cool to see both of these people on the ballot for favorite horror host. Now, I skipped over the best multimedia horror site category uh, because that's where I'm nominated. But there are so many incredible podcasts on this list as well. People that you've heard me talk about here on the show, like Craig Beam. He does the Between Light and Shadows podcast. It's all about Twilight Zone. Of course, Kyle Young's Kaiju cast is on the list. Damn Dirty Geeks is on the list. Frank Dietz and Company. That's their podcast. You know, and I'm just going to stop now because I'm afraid if I keep going, I'm probably going to skip over somebody and I don't want to do that. It's just an honor to be on the ballot. Please head over to rondoaward.com and check out the ballot. Here's the deal. You don't have to vote for every single category. I mean, you can if you want, but if you don't want to, that's fine too. If you only want to vote for one or two, if you only want to do one of the writing categories, like like the Monster Kid Hall of Fame or Best Artist or Best Writer, that's fine too. You can only vote once though. That's the thing. So make sure you fill out your ballot and, and send it in, but just do it the one time. Otherwise, it'll be disqualified. It's real easy to submit your ballot. It's not a Google form. It's not a survey. You just send an email to David Colton, the man behind the Rondo Hatton Awards at T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com. And just send them your list. Put the category, your nominee, and that's that. You're done. Feel free to spread the word about the Rondo voting. You know, go on Facebook and Twitter, that sort of thing. But let's keep it fair. You know, don't mass produce anything or duplicate ballots or anything like that, okay? I'm eager to see who's going to take home the Rondos this year. There are so many incredible nominees on here. And again, I'm just honored to be included in the mix. Ah, I completely spaced it. Forgotten Horrors Volume 9 is also on the ballot. Michael H. Price was involved in that, and he was just on the show not too long ago. Journey into double terror with the late night double feature with X, the fiend from beyond space and the wall people. A crew of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the same program, a man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls. Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in the late night double feature. No! No! Sheer stark terror grips you in underwater 3D in Creature from the Black Lagoon. The most terrifying monster of the ages rises from the sea, raging with pent-up passions. Making every man his mortal enemy, every woman's beauty his prey. Creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D, starring Richard Carlson and Julie Adams. Every horrifying scene leaps out of the screen right at you. A universal re-release rated G. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, alive, surging up from the depths of the sea on a tidal wave of terror to wreak vengeance on mankind. Godzilla, King of the Monsters, it's alive. A gigantic beast stalking the earth, crushing all before it in a cyclonic cavalcade of electrifying horror, raging through the streets on a rampage of total destruction. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Incredible Titan of Terror. 
wiping out a city of six million in a holocaust of flame. Jet planes cannot destroy it. Bombs cannot kill it. All modern weapons fail. Is this the end of our civilization? Can the scientists of the world find a way to stop this creature? For the answer, see Godzilla, King of the Monsters. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. A tale to stun the mind. More fantastic than any ever written by Jules Byrne. More terrifying than any ever shown on the screen. Awesome. Incredible. Unbelievable. A story beyond your wildest dreams. Dynamic violence. Sammy Jackson. Spectacular thrills. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Fantastic beyond comprehension. Gripping beyond compare. Astounding beyond belief. The mightiest monster of them all. See Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank you guys and gals for listening and being along for the ride. I hope you enjoyed our foray into Japanese surrealism from the 70s with House. I had a blast chatting with Steven Turek about it. And, you know, if you haven't seen the movie or you had no interest in seeing the movie or you think maybe we spoiled it, this movie offers so much more and, and maybe not. It's just it's a weird one, but definitely worth watching. So thanks again to Steve for making that happen. If you have any thoughts about the movie House or anything else that we've talked about here on this episode of Monster Kid Radio or the previous 300 or so, please drop us a line. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. I'd love to hear what you think about what we're doing here on the show. You can find all of this information on our website at monsterkidradio.net where you're going to find links to everything that we've talked about here on the show. The link to that's Terry Riffick's Facebook page, the links to buy your own copy of House from the Criterion set. Everything's there. Just hop on over there and click away. Next week on the show, I've got a new voice. It's been a little while since we've had a completely new voice, somebody that I would have never even imagined of asking to be on the show, if not for a couple of incidental cross postings on Facebook. Frank Schildener kind of sort of indirectly introduced me to Jim Beard. Now, Jim Beard is an author. He writes a lot of pulp fiction. He's been involved in comic books. And after talking with him, I know he's a diehard through and through monster kid and loves universal monsters. So I recorded with him actually this morning and next week you're going to hear the resulting conversation when he and I talk about 1936's Dracula's daughter. Look at me. What do you see in my eyes? Death. Do you like jewels, Lily? This is very old and very beautiful. Please don't come any closer. I...
pulse is weak, Dr. Goss. Growing weaker. All your skill can't help her now. She's under a spell that can be broken only by me. Or death. I am Dracula's daughter. Of course, Jim and I will talk a little bit more about just his background as a monster kid, how these things influenced him, and we'll play a round of the Classic Five. So come back for that. Stay tuned. If you are a user of iTunes, please consider giving us an honest review in the iTunes store. If you're a Facebooker, please consider liking the post and liking the page and joining the group. If you're on Twitter, thank you for retweeting the tweets. Just appreciate all the signal boosting that you guys and gals do for me. It means a lot. I look forward to talking about Dracula's Daughter with Jim next week. Hope you're looking forward to that as well. And remember, all original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Run, Don't Walk. That's from the album Typhoon Twist by the surf band Coast of Ghosts. They're based out of Konstanz, Germany. You can find them at coastofghosts.bandcamp.com and you can buy the album Typhoon Twist for like five euros. Head over there, check them out, and let them know that you heard them here on this podcast. My name is Derek M. Cook. Thank you for listening. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.